right. You guys can go ahead and find a seat. What up, Salt Company? Are we warm? A little bit? It's a little too warm? I could crack a door for like 1.7 seconds and you'd probably be frozen. Um, guys, if we have not met before, my name is Timmy. I'm on staff here helping to lead the Salt Company. And a uh, special welcome to you if it's your first time here tonight. I know I met somebody, but if it's, if it's your first time here, I know it can be a lot to walk into a new space. So super glad you're here. We're glad to have you. Um, I'm really excited about tonight, guys, because we are looking at, honestly, one of my favorite passages in, in the whole Bible. It's just an incredible story. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 3, A-C-T-S, not Acts Body Spray. said that last week. Um, if you, Mason does not like that joke. If you don't have a Bible, look on the floor because you're really going to want a Bible tonight. Like, this story is incredible. Like, Acts is just full of a ton of just amazing stories where we see God do powerful things. But this one is maybe my favorite. And so, Acts chapter 3, it's towards the back of your Bible. And what we're going to do, which we don't typically do this, sometimes we do, but we're actually going to read this whole, like, story all the way through, and then we'll circle back and, and break it up. So I want to make sure you have it first. If you got it, give me a got it. Uh, we are there. We are locking and rolling. Okay. We're starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Y'all ready? This is going to be a lot, so pay attention. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. All right, so he's begging for money. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Because we have this powerful work. But let's keep going. Look at this. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Like, why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, 
as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Okay, so what that means right there is that basically Jesus is like the capstone of all the Old Testament prophecies in your Bible. Okay, so he's like, he's like the centerpiece of the entire Bible. That's what he means by saying that. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your, sons may, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. All right, so we have this incredible work that happens where this, this man is healed and it's followed up by these incredible words in this sermon that Peter preaches. Now I want you to see the response of the people here. This is their reaction, all right? So we're going to chapter four, verse one. Just follow along with me as, as I continue to read. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, all right? So these are all the like religious people who are in charge of this holy grounds right here. And look at what it says. Here's what they were. Verse 2, greatly annoyed. Okay, so what just happened? All right, you have this lame guy who's been lame for a really long time. He's miraculously healed. And then Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon. And then all of a sudden, all these people look at this and they're just like coming out like, like, like what's going on here? Like what's with this healing? And they're, they're greatly annoyed. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them, the men, came to about 5,000. So 5,000 people trusted in Jesus that day. All right, pretty amazing. Okay, so here's what happens, right? Peter and John, they're locked up in prison until the next day. And then these people... These religious leaders, they bring them out and they start interrogating them and they're, they're asking them all these questions like, like, how are you able to do this? Like, what's with the healing? Like, by what power did this happen? And they're like, look, let this be really clear. It's in the name of Jesus that we were able to do this. And I want you to just look at this, this assessment that these religious leaders had of Peter and John as they look at them. So look, skip down to verse 13 of chapter four and just like, here's what they noticed about Peter and John. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, so just like take note of that, maybe underline that word, like uneducated and common. All right, that's Peter and John. That's what they noticed about him, but they also noticed they had been with Jesus. And then I want you to see just the rest of this conversation. So let's keep reading verse 14. All right, the religious leaders, they're astonished at Peter and John. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
All right, so they know that this lame guy was healed, and they can't deny it. And then they say, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, and I love this. They said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. All right, in other words, religious leaders go, hey, stop talking about Jesus. And they go, no, we're going to talk about Jesus. And they're like, okay, have a good day. All right, and they send him out. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Okay, there is our story. And we have this powerful work that happens, followed up by this powerful words that Peter speaks And in all this, we see that God is at work through Peter and John. And I just want to point out three things tonight that we're going to learn in the story. And so the first thing that I I really want us to do is I want to take a closer look at like the healing and then the words that follow right after that. And I want us to ask the question, and it's this, what does it mean to be a faithful witness? So that's the first thing. The second is I want to dig a little deeper into the sermon that Peter preaches. And I want to ask like, what is it about all this evidence that Peter brings up about who Jesus is that sort of demands a response? And the last thing I want to do is I want to look at the response of the people who heard Peter preach that day. Because what we're going to see, guys, is a group of listeners who knew their Bibles front and back, inside and out, and yet were spiritually dead. In other words, it is very possible that you could walk through these doors tonight at Salt Company being very biblically literate, but spiritually dead. May even be true of some of you. Okay, so first thing we're looking at is, is this powerful work that Jesus displayed in both the healing and the preaching. So go back to the beginning of, of chapter 3. And I want you to notice, like in chapter 3, there's this pattern that happens. And it also happened last week in our story that we looked at in chapter 2. And it's going to continue to happen throughout Acts. And, and it's basically this, where we see that Jesus shows up and does a powerful work. And then it's followed immediately by a powerful witness of that work. Like this is what that means. And so think about it last week. If you were here, we looked at Pentecost and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit on his followers and this miracle happens. And then what happens right afterwards? Peter stands up and then he says, hey, this is what that means. And he witnesses about it. The same thing happens in this story this week, right? There's this miracle that happens where this lame guy is here healed. And then Peter stands up and says, hey, this is what is going on. This is what that means. So we have a powerful work and it's followed up by a powerful witness. And really, I just want to talk about this a second of of what does it mean to have a powerful witness for Jesus? Like, what does that mean when we say we want to have a, be a witness for Jesus or to have a powerful witness for Jesus? And I think the first thing we need to ask is, like, what, what is a witness, okay? So a witness is a courtroom term, right? And if you're, if you're a witness, then what you do is you give an account of what you have seen and experienced. All right? You tell the courtroom what you saw. Okay, so the role of a witness is not so much being able to explain everything, but rather authentically and plainly share what they saw and experienced. So I want you to play this out with me, all right? So imagine you're in a courtroom and you're the witness, okay? So put yourselves right now in a courtroom in the shoes of a witness, okay? And here's the situation. 
All right, you went to a Reds game on a Friday night. And the Reds, they, they obviously won. And, you, and you're like having a great time because you got to see fireworks at night and you got to eat a chili dog. And so you're just like, this is cloud nine night, Reds won, you got a chili dog in your tum-tums. And now you're just walking back to your car, which is at Washington Park. And it's a little far away, but you're like, that's okay. Like, it's not that far from the banks, and the Reds won, and, and I got to eat a chili dog, and I saw fireworks. And so you're walking to your car, and you walk about 10 minutes, and you finally get to where your car is, and you're about to get in and head home. And you notice the Cincinnati Bells coming along. All right, you know what that is, right? The little trolley that goes downtown that's like, it's free, it's pretty sweet. And it's chugging along, and it's full of passengers per use, and they're all excited because they were at the Reds game too. And... What you see in front of the bell, though, is that there's, there's a, a line of cars piled up at this, this traffic light, and the operator doesn't seem to notice because he's not slowing the bell down. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he goes and he just smokes the back of this F-150 truck, all right, just smokes it, all right, just smashes it in. And then the dude gets out of his truck, and luckily, like, he's okay and able to walk or whatever, but, like, his back is hurting because he just got whiplashed by that bell, and so he has to start going to PT, and his bills start racking up, and so he's like, man, I'm suing the Cincinnati Bell Company, so here we are in the courtroom, all right, and you're called in as a witness because you saw this happen, and so I want you to imagine that this judge is, like, cross-examining you, and he's like, all right, tell me what happened, and you're like, look, here's the thing. I was on my way back Friday night, Reds game. The Reds won. It was sweet, and I'm about to get to my car, and then, yeah, I, I noticed the bell was moving pretty quickly, and the operator didn't seem to be paying attention. All of a sudden, he just smoked the back of that F-150 and just, like, really, like, messed up that dude's truck. That's what I saw. And the attorney looks at you, and he's like, well, what I want to know is why is it that whenever that bell hit the F-150's truck bed, that, that truck bed caved in completely like a taco. I mean, have you ever considered the, the tensile strength of the metal alloys that are used in the F-150 chassis these days? And you sit back in the, in the, in the witness stand, and you're like, dude, slow down, Copernicus. I don't even know what you just said. All right, I'm just like on my way back from the Reds game, wishing I had one more chili dog, and I saw this wreck happen. Like, that's it. And he's like, I'm like I don't, what are tensile strength and metal? I don't know about any of that. And he looks at me, and he's like, I rest my case. And you're like, what? Like, like this is just so confusing, okay? What's my... My point in this illustration, all right, this would be a silly scenario because everybody knows that the job of a witness is not to be able to answer every single question that could be asked. But rather, the job of a witness is to simply share what he knows from what he has experienced and from what he's seen. That's the job of a witness. You just share what you've seen. Guys, the same is true when it comes to being a witness of Jesus. I've talked to many Christians over the years who are just so freaked out when it comes to sharing their faith with people around them, when it comes to sharing what Jesus has done in their life with people around them because, and maybe you've asked this question too, because you're like, I don't know if they're going to ask me questions about God or the Bible that I have no idea and I won't know what to say. And like, I'd imagine you've been there too because you just imagine that like you're going to, you're going to, you know, talk with, you're finally wor work up the courage to talk to one of your friends, but you're going to talk to the Captain Smarty Pants of your friends, and you're going to be like, hey, look, man, like, here's what Jesus has done in my life. Like, I'd love to share with you. And he's like, oh, really? Was Goliath 10 feet tall? And then you're just like, I don't know. Like, I've, I've always wondered. I don't, you know? Guys, early on when I was a much younger believer, early on in high school, I had a friend 
name Max, and Max was not a Christian and someone who I was trying to get to share Jesus with because Jesus had changed my life, and I wanted Max to experience the same thing. And one time, Max and I were hanging out, and, and I'm telling him how Jesus had changed my life, and, uh, and I'm like, look, the same thing can happen to you. And then Max is like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd buy that and all if I actually heard God say something to me. But why is it that every single time that I talk to God, I don't hear anything back? And me as a 14-year-old, fairly new Christian, did, did not know what to say in that moment. I'm like, that's a great question. I'm thinking, I'm like, I kind of wonder the same thing. And maybe you have too. Have you ever wondered that? Like, like if God is real, why won't you just say something? And, and I didn't know what to say to Max in that moment. And then all of a sudden, he just starts firing all these questions left and right at me about the Bible and God. And I was just completely overwhelmed in that moment. And so here's what I said. I was like, Max, you're asking a ton of great questions right now. And honestly, I do not have the answers to a lot of the questions that you're asking. And a lot of the questions you're asking, I've thought myself, but here is what I do know. I know that I was once one way, hopeless and dead in my sins, purposeless in this life, and something changed. And the reason is because of Jesus. I know that I felt so guilty and questioned things about my position with God and if God would accept me when I die and what my purpose was here. But all of that changed when I was introduced to Jesus and what he had done. He completely changed my life. And Max, I think that needs to happen to you as well. Okay, so in that moment, guys, I was being a witness of God's work, of his powerful work. You see, I'd never seen anybody miraculously healed. I've never seen anybody actually speak in tongues. But here's what I knew. I once was spiritually dead, and now I'm alive. And the only reason is because of what Jesus had did on my behalf. It's like the hymn, Amazing Grace. Like I once was lost and blind, but now I see and now I'm found. I used to think that Jesus was just normal, but now I can't get enough of Jesus. And I just want to read my Bible more and more and learn more about who he is. I knew something that had happened in my life that I didn't really have an explanation for other than the fact that I had met Jesus. And by the way, guys, like that is the primary work of the Holy Spirit that God, that God uses the Holy Spirit to do in our world today. Right? The primary work of the Holy Spirit is not sending down the miraculous gifts of tongues or physically healing people from sicknesses. No, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is bringing dead people to life through faith in Jesus. That is the primary work of God that he's doing in our world today through his spirit is that he's taking spiritually dead people, people who do not love Jesus and are unable to love them and making them alive through faith in his son. And guys, if that has happened to you, then you have a powerful work. The question is, is will you witness of it? Will you share about it? See, I look back on my, my story with Max and, and guys, I did not have all the answers that night. I didn't, but I knew who I once was and who I now am because of what Jesus had done. And I could tell him how that happened. That Jesus lived the life I was required to and took the punishment I deserved. And he rose from the grave. And that is through faith in him that we have life and we have purpose and in eternity. And guys, it is such a privilege and joy to get to be used as a witness for God. Such a privilege. Like Max didn't come to faith that night, 
But since then, guys, there's been many times where God has just used the simple words of what Jesus has done in my life to help dead people come alive. And what a privilege to get to be used that way. And now what I don't want you to think in this moment, and people have told me this, was well, like, hey, Tim, like, that's, like, that's for you. Like, that's what, that's what you do because you work for a church and salt company, and you kind of get paid to tell people about Jesus. Like, that's your job. Like, like you're, you're good at that whole talk and stuff, but not me. Like, I don't know all the answers. And, and you might be thinking, like, you don't know as much as your campus group leader, or you don't know as much as, as, as the Bible as somebody else or whatever. But listen, guys, that cannot be more of a lie. It's not about how much you know or how eloquently you speak. It doesn't matter. All right, one of my favorite parts in this whole story is what happens in chapter 4 and verse 13 when, they, when they're interrogating Peter and John about what happened. They bring them before them. And here's what it says, verse 13. It should be on the screen behind me. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I think this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, right? These guys, Peter and John, just did this incredible thing, and they're witnessing about who Jesus is, but they had never gone through seminary. They never even had a formal education. No, they were uneducated, common men. And if you don't know what that word common means, in the Greek, here's what it, here's what it means. It's idiotai, all right? What does that word sound like? It's where we get the English word idiots, all right? Guys, God loves showing himself strong in the midst of our weaknesses. He loves to do that because he is more glorified in those moments. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. And it doesn't matter how well you can speak because get this, dead people don't come alive because you talk good. They don't. And I know this. Because it doesn't matter how eloquently you speak to a dead body, that body's never going to come alive. It doesn't matter how great you talk or how great your gospel presentation is, your words cannot make anybody come alive. God has to do that work. And here's the thing. From the moment, guys, I, I first became a Christian and Jesus changed my life, I have not always been a faithful witness. There's been a lot of times where I've wussed out in moments and I've cared way more about what people think of me and I've been afraid of not having the right answers or whatever and I, and, and I didn't share. Okay, but here is one thing that I have learned is 100% of the times that I am silent, no one comes alive. Because without a faithful witness sharing, no one is able to hear the truth of the gospel and have their life changed. And so that's the first part. Like, like, this is how you be a faithful witness, is you just start sharing. And so maybe, like, who is that person for you? Like, who is the max for you in your life right now? Who you know doesn't know Jesus but needs to know him? Like, maybe write that name down in your journal right now. Maybe share that with your campus group this week and ask for a kind of, like, hey, look, I want to have a conversation with my friend blank this week because I want to share how Jesus has changed my life. Like, can you pray over that with me? And like, can you hold me to that? Like, I'm going to actually take a step towards that because this actually matters. People's eternities at stake here. So that's the first part. The second thing I want to look at with you is, it's really, it's, it's this question. It's, it's what did Peter say in his sermon right after this miracle that, that demanded a response? Okay. And so 
right after this miracle happens, the people start to gather around and just look at verse 12 with me, all right? Because these people saw this guy physically healed and they're just astounded at what they saw. And so Peter says this, it says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? All right, now I'm gonna be honest here. I feel like the questions that Peter are asking are pretty stupid. <laughs> All right, think about what just happened, right? Like if I just physically healed somebody who has been crippled for 40 years and then you saw him get up and start walking around, like you would all be staring at me like, what just happened, right? Like you would be amazed, All right? And Peter literally just heals this guy and he turns around, what are you looking at? All right, Peter, whatever. All right, keep going, verse 13. And then he starts to, to speak to them. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. See, Peter is pretty harsh with him. He tells them, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He's referring to Barabbas, right? And he's like, you killed the author of life. He's being super direct here. But God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And then just look down at verse 17. He says, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And then the point of all of this is verse 19. Repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Okay, there's four things that I just wanna point out. And what Peter just said. And the first thing that I think we need to notice is just the, the content of their preaching, all right? And it's this basic message. They quote a ton of the Old Testament. All right, did you notice that? Like as we read through Peter's sermon, there's more of it later on. They're just constantly quoting a bunch of the Old Testament. And he's like, hey, this prophet said this, and this is what this means. And we're gonna see this. We saw this last week, and we're gonna see this throughout most of the sermons and acts as they're constantly pointing to the Old Testament and, and all the prophecies regarding the Messiah. And like, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. That everything from the very first pages of your Bible in Genesis all point to Jesus. And so he's doing the same thing here, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's the first thing you need to see. The second I want you to notice, I want you to notice the physical location of where this conversation is actually taking place. Like where are they physically right now? All right, they're in Jerusalem at the temple. Okay, now Peter tells his listeners, you guys crucified Jesus. You killed him, you murdered him. And he means it literally here because many of these people were actually there screaming crucify him the day that Jesus died. But I want you to also notice that this is happening, right, in the same exact town where Jesus was crucified and where he rose from the dead. And look at what Peter says in verse 15. He's like, you guys killed him, but God raised him from the grave. He's now alive. Now listen, if, all right, if the people listening to Peter that day disagreed with that statement, that Jesus had truly not been resurrected, and that Jesus wasn't alive, then look, they could have ended Christianity and this whole Christian movement in about three minutes. All they had to do was walk two or three blocks right down the road, go to that tomb, open it up, and like there's his body rotting right there. But that didn't happen. 
And what I want you to see is you don't start a movement claiming that someone has been raised from the dead by telling people in the same exact town. It's so easy to prove that that didn't happen. It'd be so easy for them to disprove right here and in Christianity altogether, which many of these people did. They wanted to. That's why they start persecuting them. And so if you're like me, and you're someone who loves just finding more evidence that like Christianity is legit and real, then understanding this is huge. When we say that the very movement of Christianity began in Jerusalem, that is one of the biggest evidences for it actually being real because it would have been so easy to disprove because our whole faith is founded on the fact that Jesus walked out of that tomb and is alive. It would have been so easy to disprove by just saying, no, 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 he's right there three blocks down. There's his bones, but they can't do it. They didn't do it because he walked out of that tomb and he appeared to hundreds of people for 40 days and then he ascended into heaven. All right, here's the third thing I want you to see. That's historical fact, by the way. Here's the third thing. It's not just the location of Peter's message, but it's the time frame. Like when did this happen? Okay, this wasn't, right, decades afterwards. This wasn't even a year after Jesus had been crucified and rose from the grave. No, 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 we're talking just a few weeks after Jesus, Jesus had risen from the grave, that Peter's actually having this conversation. I want you to notice what he says in verse 14 and 15 as he starts to describe Jesus. Look at some of the names that he gives. He refers to Jesus as the holy and righteous one and the author of life. Okay, did you notice how those words are capitalized in your Bible? All right, here's why that is. Because all of these are Old Testament titles that were used by the writers to refer to God and God alone. Right? Only God is perfectly holy and righteous. And only God is the author of life. Right? No human in all the scriptures ever gets the title author of life because that's God's and his alone. If you talk with many people nowadays and you ask them who they think Jesus is, a lot of people will just say, oh, I think he's just a good moral teacher. Right, like I don't like believe that he, he was God, but I think, yeah, he was like a good moral teacher and he had some, like, guys, the things that Peter and John are saying about Jesus here are things that you do not say about someone who's a good moral teacher. Right? From the moment that they saw him raise again, they are proclaiming and witnessing to the truth that he actually is the son of God and he's risen from the grave and he is the author of life. And then the last thing, in his sermon, I want you to notice is this. It's right at the end is that Peter makes it clear that the end of the age is here. That Jesus is coming to earth and that his crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension into heaven start the clock that is counting down to the end of all things to where Jesus comes back bodily as judge to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. Okay, so let's put these four things together. All right, number one, right, the core preaching of the early church is this, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament. That's number one. Number two, Jesus is physically risen from the dead and he's alive and he's reigning now. Here's number three. Jesus is God in the flesh. And number four, Jesus will return one day to judge the living and the dead. And since all of that is true about Jesus, here's what Peter and John said to this group that day. Is you guys need to repent. You need to recognize your need for a savior, that only he is holy and that you stand guilty before him. 
that that's why Jesus came, to live the life that you were required to live, but you couldn't, and die the death that you deserve. You need to turn from your sin and cling to Jesus and trust in him. Put your confidence in him and in his work and what he's done. And the same thing that he was telling them that day is the same thing that he's telling you and I today and now. And so really the question I have for you from this is quite simple. Have you had a decisive turning point moment in your life where you looked at Jesus and who he claimed to be and it changed everything about you? Let me put it this way. Who is Jesus to you? Like, who do you say that Jesus is? Because if you agree with these guys here, that Jesus truly is the fulfillment of all scripture, and that he actually is the son of God, and he rose from the grave, and he died defeating your sins, and he is victoriously reigning in heaven, and he's coming back one day. If that's true, then that should bring you to a decisive moment where everything that you have is laid at the feet of Jesus and you surrender your life to him because he's king, right? These truths that Peter shared, they should melt us. They should rock us to our core. This can't just be facts. It's not just like, oh yeah, I believe in God, but it has no implication on your life whatsoever. Like, have you had a decisive moment where you repented and believed that Jesus is who he says he is? And then he died and rose from the grave, defeating your sin, and it changed everything about your life and the way that you live. And all of this leads to the final thing that I want you to see, which is the people who Peter and John were talking with that day. I want you to look at verse 11 of chapter 3. It says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. All right, so all these people are shocked, right? Their minds are blown at what they just saw. They just saw this lame man healed. And Peter says, why are you wondering? Why are you staring at us? What are you thinking? See, these people don't understand what's going on. In fact, in verse 17, here is what Peter says. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. He's saying, like, you guys are ignorant. Like, like you don't understand. You've missed the point. Now, who were the ignorant people that Peter is talking to again. Remember where they were at this moment, right? They're in Jerusalem and they're specifically at the temple, okay? Which is a place of worship where people would go to worship and pray and read the word of God. Who goes to the temple? Religious people. We talked about this last week, guys, just a little bit. But these people at the temple were extremely religious people. They were so well-versed in the Bible, right? It was, it was taught that like average uh, for an average Jewish male, they would have about 5,000 Bible verses memorized. Okay, these guys are like Bible-headed freaks. They were just Bible nerds. Freaks is probably too messed up of a word to say, but these guys were like Bible thumpers, right? They knew the Bible better than every single one of us in here. Better than me. They, they had so many verses memorized, and yet Peter's saying they're ignorant. Like, I think, like, they're not ignorant. They're not fools. They're so biblically literate, but here's the point. They knew all this stuff, but they missed the main part. These guys were completely biblically literate, but they were spiritually dead. They don't understand what's going on here, and they've missed that Jesus actually is the Son of God and that all Scripture points to him. So they were biblically literate, but spiritually dead. And it's entirely possible that there are people here in this room right now who are very biblically literate, but spiritually dead. And you've grown up 
maybe in a Christian family or around a lot of Christian things. You might have a handful of verses memorized yourself, and you might think that you know a lot about the Bible, but you may have missed the main thing. Maybe all you know is just some facts about Jesus, but you have no passion and true love for Jesus. And you've missed what he's actually come here to do. And that's to give his life up and to die in your place so that you can have life. And so Peter and John's call to them that day was to repent. And my prayer for us tonight is really simple. Is we see a response that happens in chapter 4, verse 4. And that's that many believed that day when they heard this word that was preached. And they began following Jesus. And that's my prayer tonight, that some of you who just know the facts about Jesus would actually believe them. And I want to just say this, like, you might not be sure whether that you want to surrender your life to Jesus or not. You might still have questions. But guys, every time we are presented with a gospel and there is indecision there, you're actually making a decision. In that moment, no, I don't believe that. And you're pushing Jesus actually away. So why not let tonight be the night where you actually acknowledge that you're broken and you respond in faith and you cling to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just this incredible story that has just so many implications for us here and now in our context today in Cincinnati, Ohio, 2,000 years after these events, Lord, where Jesus, you still reign. You are Lord of Lords, the creator of all things and on the throne. Lord, I thank you for the reminders that you don't need us in this text that there was nothing special about Peter and John in and of themselves. Lord, they were just common, uneducated men. And a lot of times, Lord, that's how, that's how I feel. And it's true of who I am and who we are. Lord, we are just broken, messy people who have tons of questions about who you are. And we can't understand you fully with our puny-sized brains. And that's okay, Lord, we don't need to. I ask, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at. Lord, I recognize that one of the things that keeps me from being a witness a lot of the times is honestly just because I've forgotten how sweet your grace is, how much I need it, how apart from you, Jesus, I have no hope and I have no life and I have no purpose. But because of you, Jesus, I have life and joy and hope. And so Lord, keep me just thankful for the cross and what you've done on my behalf. And let that be what drives me and the rest of this room to go and share, to run to our campuses and to run to our dorm mates and to our neighbors and our classmates and just be invitational people who are okay with being rejected for your sake because, Lord, you're our king. What a privilege it is that you would want to use people like us. God, we're begging that you would save more on our campuses. We know it's only by your power that that can happen, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are still at work bringing dead people to life through faith in Jesus. We love you, God. We praise you.
We thank you that we're a part of your family because of what Christ has done. We want to worship you in response to that right now. Amen.